0: Welcome to Unconventionally Speaking, the PSA podcast where we go behind the scenes to learn about the triumphs and tribulations that help shape the careers of our unconvention 2022 learning gurus and experienced masters. Not only will you get a sneak peek into their session, you'll also gain valuable insight into the speaking business and tips on how to navigate the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. Hi, this is Kim Sealing-Smith, and I could not be more excited about today's guest. He really doesn't need a lot of introduction to the PSA community. He is the one, the only, Michael McQueen. But to be official, he would like to be introduced as a trend forecaster and multiple best-selling author. Michael, welcome to the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much. Good to be able to spend some time with you
0: it's great to be able to spend some time with you and i'm really looking forward to our conversation today you and i know each other obviously we've known each other for a number of years through psa but there are some things that we don't know about you in particularly keen to learn about you and The first question that I have is, you know, as speakers, we're asked to provide show reels. And I'd like you to provide us with your verbal show reel. What do you normally speak on and what wows your audience for those of you who don't know you? Oh,
1: I guess I'm, I'm all about the future, really, and have been for a lot of years. In fact, I'm coming up to 18 years in the business wow. full time, wow. which is a very long time now, really. And essentially, it's all about where the world is heading and how to gear up for it. So I guess the main focus of my work for a lot of those 18 years has been to try and help Industries or clients identify patterns before they become disruptions and those industries can be anything from corporates through to educators who are trying to figure out where the world's heading and how to gear their students up for the future. That's sort of where I spent a lot of the first years of my career is working in the education sector but now more of it's in the corporate space helping businesses identify what could disrupt them before it actually does. <laughs>
0: Yes, disruption seems to be the word of the day. Uh I know that you feel the same way that I do, that COVID is hopefully the most significant disruption of this decade, but certainly won't be the last.
1: Well, I think that's it. And what's interesting right now is there's so much happening around the world where there is that sense of uncertainty. I think we're all living in those very uncertain times, which is innately stressful. And so I think the challenge for all of us, and this is what I challenge and encourage clients with, is how do you have a posture of readiness for whatever's going to come? Because Think about in the martial arts, there's a posture you need to hold in order to be ready for the punch or the kick that's going to come out of the left field. And in the same way, many of us have sort of got a brace for what could come next and it could be any number of things. And it's not just the professional stuff, it's things that's happening in our personal lives that no one can foresee that are desperately unfair and, like, we've all got that stuff happening in our families and in our communities. So, like, how do we make sure we've got that posture of preparedness and readiness? And some of that is about having a strategy that's sort of future fit But also I think the biggest thing, this is what I've learned the most in the last two years, is how do you have a mentality that is robust, that is resilient. And I've found, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got to say that's what I found most challenging in the last two years is how to have a mentality that was useful, valuable, one that served me in the midst of all this. Ch-
0: oh, I think we've all struggled with that. And and I yeah. read an article recently that said that Australia has been pegged as the most burnt out country in the world right now. And wow. no doubt with all of our lockdowns and, and everything else. But um, it's a fascinating topic, but I, I really want to focus in on you. And we know that all Hollywood greats had a secret career before they became famous. What was (laughs) yours? What did you do before you became a professional speaker?
1: Well, I'm one of these strange people in the industry that sort of in many ways set out to be a speaker and then went searching for a topic, um, <laughs> whereas you know, a lot of us come into the industry with a degree of expertise in an area, and then you sort of adapt that to the speaking world. And so I was, it was something I always wanted to do, and many man, many would know my backstory that I wanted to do since I was quite young. And so I you know was mentored by a few people, one of them being Lisa McGuinness smith people like David Penglase, who said you know you got to find your your area of expertise which initially was the whole generational thing but mm-hmm. it took me a while to move into that and so after university, I realised I wanted to get into doing research around generational change, and then moving to writing and speaking and research. But I had this sort of had to support myself, put food on the table. And so I had a mate who actually ran a pest control company, and they were looking, yeah, and they were looking for someone like as a sales rep. And so they were a bit unique. They were actually a pest control company, but they were also a technology company. They were sort of re, you know, reinventing pest control, developing apps to monitor, and it was all designed for property managers in real estate agencies. So I was going door to door. In real estate agencies all around Sydney, wow. it's basically trying to get them on board with this new pest control service, and so that was that's what I did while I was building my business. And it was um, it was a pretty rough time, I've got to say, because it was a tricky sell. It, I obviously wasn't enormously passionate about pest control. I learned a lot about different ways to kill rodents, um, but like <laughs> it's just, you know, that that was that was my immediate. Profession before moving into speaking full time.
0: <laughs> I have to tell this story, and it's a very short story, but I and I haven't yeah. thought of this story in years. When I was um in San Antonio, Texas, running a recruitment agency, I was looking for a general manager. And one of the most interesting applications that I got was from the general manager of a pest control company. Well, <laughs> and I thought, I have got to talk to this person because the way he put his resume together really, really stood out. And so I rang him and And let's call him Joe. And I said, Joe, well, tell me a little bit about your background. And he said, well, Hmm. you know, I've been working in pest control for 18 years. Now, I don't kill the bugs, but I know how to.
1: (laughs) An important (laughs) distinction, if ever there was one.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) I love it. Absolutely. So how did you you then finally make the transition from selling pest control to speaking (laughs) and earning a living from it?
1: Well, the great thing about that role is it was part-time and I was I was just on commission, which meant that obviously there was a bit varied income-wise. Perfect preparation for speaking because, you know, you never quite knew at the beginning of the month what was going to happen. And so I basically gradually moved from that sort of three or four days a week while I was building my speaking work into sort of gradually becoming more full-time speaking. I was only there for six to eight months. Mm. But it was a big time. It was when my wife and I got married and so like we had very little money. It was just there was a lot... You know, those sort of periods of life where there's a lot of change. And I look yes. back on it and it was a deeply unsettling time just because, you know, not a lot of cash and all the new things. And like all, I mean, and marriage is awesome and weddings are great, but they're expensive. And like all of the. <laughs> it was just a huge time of change. And I think, it, honestly, it was about three months after we got back from our honeymoon, my wife said, well, I've got a stable job. I'll carry, you know, carry us if we need to. You go off and just focus on speaking, which was a great blessing, and so I did. And you know, we never really need to rely on her teaching salary, but just having that as a a floor of security gave me the confidence to leave that role. So that was the the transition stage.
0: Oh, and she's a keeper, obviously, and you have kept her. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Excellent. Well, you know, the next question is um, kind of a tricky question for you, Michael, because normally at this point in the podcast, I would say. All of us as speakers, you, you mentioned it before, the inconsistent income. And this is a profession where if it were easy, everybody would do it. And from mm, the outside yep. looking in, it does look easy, but it is not for the faint of heart. And you have peaks, you have lows. And normally I would say, tell us about a time when you wanted to throw it all in. But in preparing for this podcast, I know that you have not had a time where you've wanted to chuck it all in. And that is particularly fascinating to me because I. I remember sitting in on your opening keynote at this year's convention, 2021, and you sharing that incredibly impactful uh, picture of you standing in the center link line and never imagining that you would be in the center link line. I never imagined to see Michael McQueen in the center link line. How (laughs) How could you not have wanted to throw it all in at that point in time? How did you keep going through that experience?
1: Well, I think, I mean, the reality was, and I think a lot of us were in that that stage, at that point, it was shell shock, really. It Mm. was like, just not really knowing what was going to happen next. And I think that, so for all of us, in the midst of that, there wasn't, the the instinct wasn't to sort of throw in the towel and run away. It was sort of, it was to go into battle mode and be like, I don't know how we're going to survive this, but we've got to. And I think that's, honestly, I think that's the biggest change. And I remember you and I speaking about this a few months ago in the midst of the like the second lockdown in Sydney here. And I mean, we've, in Sydney, it's been rough or in New South Wales, it's been hard, much harder in Melbourne because it's been longer for them. But I know for us in this most recent lockdown, the difference was unlike that moment when, you know, we're all trying to figure out how to stay in business and how to put food on the table. And, you know, like none of us knew what a lockdown even was. I mean, this is all new language at that point. We've yeah. got to remember that we didn't even know how to do any of that stuff, the things we yeah. take for granted now. While it was battle mode then, The second lockdown was like incarceration mode. Yeah. So it wasn't that same, like, how do we get together and pivot and reinvent? And I actually found, even though that was a really tricky time, that was a very, very ta- taxing time financially. And I mean, the reason I was there is because I'd never engaged with Centrelink, so I didn't have the, like, the number. So I couldn't like even apply to see if we, you know, the JobKeeper stuff. I couldn't even get into, like, computer says no type thing. I couldn't even log into the system to see if we qualified because I didn't have the number I needed. So
0: right, yeah. you know, I was
1: lining up with everyone else just to get the number to see what we <laughs> qualified for. But at this time, it wasn't that same. In battle mode it was it was just riding it out and waiting and that I found yeah, harder. harder. And yeah. I found it actually more difficult emotionally and mentally this time in the lockdown than last year, which which sort of caught me by surprise. But talking to colleagues, I think a number of people found the same thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. I certainly did. And, and like you said, I've talked to a number of our colleagues and, and even my clients are, are certainly, especially we're recording this at the end of November and in the lead up to Christmas, everybody is just plain tired. Yeah, yep. So how do you, you know, that brings me kind of to a, a different question around breaking through levels when you get stuck at a certain level, either in your business, your your revenue growth or the opportunities mm. that you have or your mindset or your craft. How do you, Michael McQueen, how do you get yourself unstuck? Well, I remember probably the most
1: stuck place I was would have been probably around 2010, 2011. And at that point, I'd spent seven years focusing on generational change as a topic. So I'd written a couple of books about how to bridge the generation gap and engage with millennials or Gen Y, as we call them at that point. Yes. And that had worked an absolute treat. You know, like I'd, I'd built a really solid business. I don't know what we were turning over per year. Maybe it was like 150000 150 000 to 250000 a year in revenue. And it was going great, but I just, I knew that I needed to reinvent myself. And so, you know, early on, probably about four or five years into that, I'm like, okay, what's the next topic? And so I started working on that and I just... I just, you know, I couldn't quite figure it out. And my my thought was, what if the next topic was about, instead of just bridging the generation gap and engaging with young people, it's like, how do we, you know, focus on equipping the next generation and how can older generations leave a legacy and pass on their wisdom and, you know, the whole thing about succession planning. And I thought that, that could be a useful, logical next step topic-wise. And I honestly worked in a book around leaving a legacy and succession planning for two and a half years, and it just was not clicking and I remember Mm. we went on holiday with some friends and we were in Europe and it was funny I was just so miserable toward the end of this holiday because I knew I had to come home and I'm like I'm going I'm going you know that sense I've only ever had it once a cute sense of I don't want to go back to life because I feel like I'm so stuck and
0: yes
1: I just don't know what to do next and I remember shortly after getting back from that I was speaking at a conference in Yapun up near Rockhampton and I remember vividly working on this book and at the time, the structure of the book was sort of leaving a legacy. I can't remember what the title was, but the, the idea was, you know, the three battles you need to win if you're going to pass a legacy on that's going to help the next generation. Um, the first was a battle for permanence, so creating something that lasts. The second was a battle for transference, something you can actually hand over and isn't just unique to you. And the third was the battle for relevance. How do you hand over something that's relevant to the next generation? As I'm working this book and just hitting my head against the wall, I sat back and I remember sitting in the room in Yapoon, so stuck, and then looking at this section called winning the battle for relevance I thought I think that actually is a book in itself so oh. I pulled that out of the manuscript so to set it on its own in a brand new word document and it just it's almost like it a baby that had been born it just started breathing it just it wow. just I'm like, that's it. And so that, but that honestly, that took a couple, probably 12 to 18 months to get to that point of really working on this book. And I've still got the manuscript for the legacy book sitting there somewhere. I don't know if I'll ever get back to it, but it just, I was so stuck for so long and I just had to keep chipping away at it until something clicked into place and it began to work. So that was an incredibly challenging time, but a really important time because that book sort of recast me as a generational person to, much of what I do today.
0: Yeah. Which really leads in well to our next question, which is how has your topic and, or your target market, because you started speaking about generational differences and you started working with a lot in the educational world and Mm. now you're a futurist. How did you, how did you make that transition? How did those topics of topics evolve over the years?
1: Well, it all looks very linear, doesn't it? When you look back in retrospect, <laughs> these, most things do. You look back and go, oh, I just made perfect sense. It just naturally evolved. And yeah. it never looks like that when you're facing into it. But for me, the the process, I guess, does have a linear natural flow to it. So, I mean, from a generational perspective, I then looked at the whole theme of relevance, which was... You know how do you stay relevant as times change and so it wasn't just like generational change but what are the other things that can cause an organization to become less relevant or obsolete as time goes on and we've just seen kodak file for bankruptcy blackberry mm. had fallen from greatness like we're starting to see this happen in the marketplace And so that was a natural pivot to look at not just generational change, but broadening the scope to look at technological change and regulatory change and market change. Like, What are the sort of shifts that can cause you to lose relevance if you're not careful? And so that then was the next sort of three to five years of content. And then the scope broadened a little bit more than that to look at, you know, for businesses that do manage to reinvent themselves and stay relevant over a long period of time, what's the, thing they all, what's the thing they all have in common? And it's the ability to maintain momentum and that dynamism within an organization. So then I wrote a book about momentum and how to stay at the cutting edge over time. And then sort of I, I sort of shifted a bit and looked at consumer trends. And so I wrote a, wrote a book about trust and how to maintain trust and affinity in the marketplace. And now the next one. So yeah, the next book. I'm I'm actually still almost at that point I was at in Yapoon where I'm working on this manuscript, and it's going to be a cracker. I know it is, but I just don't know how yet. I'm still not there. <laughs> but like it's like this book is going to be the next one, which is about the changing people side oh, of. Oh
0: yes. Like
1: I'm really I'm really I, I think the thing I'm, I'm I'm increasingly intrigued by is why do, why do rational people. Choose to adopt rational position, irrational positions, oh, yes. irrational beliefs, irrational perspectives, and how do you shift that? And so, oh, yes. um, that's the next book is around how do you change obstinate and entrenched people. Um, so that'll be the next sort of focus.
0: And that is very, very topical, obviously, with all of the political divides that we see, certainly in my home country, the U.S., but even here in Australia. Right. And this is very critical, I think, moving forward as a society is moving people away from the fringes and more into the middle. So I will be be pre-ordering that from the bookstore (laughs) as soon as you have a release date. (laughs) You're very kind. So the definition of the term speaker certainly has been widening over the last couple of decades, and COVID has made it even more broad. We do so much more in our industry than conference speaking. Can you walk us through all of the different ways that you connect with your audiences now other than simply you know, live and virtual keynotes? Because you, you do do more things than just that. Tell us what they are.
1: Yeah, I do a few things more than that, but I don't do a lot more than that. Um, I'm actually, so I deliberately years ago, have kept my business pretty simple. So I Mm. don't have staff. I don't have offices. I try and keep my modalities pretty simple um, because I wanted to have a business that essentially served my family and I and gave us you know, the life we wanted rather than having our life serve our business. And I've seen colleagues who've gone down the road of having really complicated businesses with lots of staff and lots of things in the boil and they almost they become hostages to their own business. And so for me personally, I just didn't really want to do that. So I thought, what, what do I? What am I good at? How do I focus on that and become the best at it? So it's typically live speaking or virtual speaking is still the majority of what I do. Book sales is another revenue source. Hmm. Online courses is something that I've dabbled with over the years. So um, I know that Sarah Cordner is going to be speaking at a convention next year. And yes. um, I did some work with her a few years ago on how to build a couple of online courses and I've got to say, I felt like that had massive potential that either never really was realized or I never really realized because they didn't focus on it sufficiently. Um, so the great thing, though, is during COVID, those actually really did prove quite valuable. And so I yes. sold a lot of courses where I do a virtual session and then sell the online courses as an implementation program at the back end of the virtual session. And a number of clients bought yeah, you know, a lot of that. So I don't know, we probably sold 60, 70 grand worth of online courses over the next, over the last 18 months, which is far more than we have sold in the last, in the you know, eight years previous and six years previous. So um, there's been certainly some changes in that regard, but really the big one is just to go from being on a stage in front of an audience to doing it virtually. That's been the biggest learning and now doing a hybrid.
0: Yes. Yes, uh, and, and it sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in working towards your strengths, and it sounds like you really identified early on, and a strength is a combination of what you're good at, but also what energizes you, and it sounds mm. like you were able to identify very early on that you're energized by doing deep research to then be able to speak from a stage, whether it's a live or virtual stage, yeah. and and yep. you've really stuck to your knitting, and it's pretty extraordinary in this world because most speakers are are looking to diversify, but you have very deliberately set a path for yourself, which has worked out very, very well. What advice could you give to people who really, like yourself, don't necessarily want to diversify widely? How do you stick to that course in the face of all of these other voices telling you that you do need to diversify?
1: Well, that's a really good question. Because I, I mean, I part of me, I guess the gift is I I just don't much care. (laughs) <laughs> what everyone says you should do you know and I think you know in, in a hopefully a really constructive way you know some people feel like they're always going to check in am I doing okay am I on track and what's the market saying what's everyone else doing I'm like I'm just going to do what I do do it as well as I can I'm going to go with my gut as to where I think the market's heading where I, what I yeah. think my clients are looking for and there've been a couple of times where I've made calls about you know this I think this topic's going to really resonate I think this modality is going to work and a few people have been like oh no I don't know about that and to this point, most times it's actually played out. I just try and go with my gut yeah. and, and stand my ground, I guess. So I, I think one of the blessings of PSA and the curses of PSA is you're surrounded by people who will give you their advice about the only way to build this business is dot, yeah. dot, dot. Um, and I think yeah. that's, uh, that's what I realized early on is that, I mean, there, there are so many paths up the mountain Yes. And certainly and, the path that I went up the mountain was slower than a lot of my colleagues. I, I didn't get early success the way a lot of my colleagues did, but I've, I've, I've been around longer than a lot of them have been. You've,
0: so. you've, you've more than made up for it. You certainly have. And I think that that is one of the challenges, especially of, of convention. And one of the things that I'm grateful for is that having it in the format that we have it, uh, we're going to be able to record all of the sessions. And so we've got 24 speakers plus tech sessions, plus uh, stoolies are doing something very, very unique. And you will get access to all of those recordings because it's Mm, so important to implement, even if you implement one idea, and you will have hundreds of ideas thrown at you, but even if you implement one idea, it can make such a tremendous change to your business. So, speaking of business changing, you are a futurist. You're the perfect person to ask this question to. We've certainly seen a lot of change in our industry over the last couple of years. Take us out 10 years. What do you see in your wildest dreams? What does a speaker's life look like? Look like? Are we going to be appearing on stages as holograms? Are we going to be in VR headsets? <laughs> what, what do you what do you see the future holds for us?
1: Well, I think certainly that, I mean, the VR and, I mean, you look at Facebook's shift into the metaverse and they're, even their rebranding as Meta over the last little uh-huh. while, I think is indicative that that is going to be a part of life for all of us. So I think one of the questions that's front of mind for me at the moment is, I think what we're moving into—it's almost like the questions we needed to ask ourselves back in the early two thousands. How do I need to get set up to win in the online? What I need a website. Do I need to get my URL first before mm. I lose the .com or the .net? Like, what do I need to like? How do I make sure I get my LinkedIn profile early so that I'm not like my name 164 <laughs> Exactly. But like at the moment, how do we make sure we're staking our claim in this new world? Because I do think the metaverse, as much as I have actually got some personal reservations about it. It is going to be where our audiences are hanging out. It's going to be where the younger generations of consumers are learning and living. And so we're going to have to be there. But I'm also mindful that I, I think, and I, I, I love this quote. In fact, I came across this. I I've, I've thought this would be useful um, to share. This was an interview with Jeff Bezos a little while back. And so here's a quote from him. He said, I very frequently get asked the question, what's going to change in the next 10 years? And that's a very interesting question. It's a very common one. But I almost never get the question, what's not going to change in the next 10 years? And I submit to you that the second question is actually the more important of the two because you can build a business strategy around the things that are stable in time. Then he goes on to say, what do we know about our customers? They want low prices. They want fast delivery. They want good selection, blah, blah, blah. So he goes on to say, what are the things that will not change in 10 years and how do we make sure we focus on that when we when, when we look at strategy? So I think from a speaking perspective, this is relevant. Like for me, what's not going to change in 10 years I think the importance of connection from yeah. an educator or a speaker to the audience, whether you're doing that virtual or not like that, how do you actually create that visceral connection that you don't get, for instance, just with a pre-recorded canned thing? Yes. Um, I think that's going to be so important. You know, ideas that empower or invigorate people that don't just educate them. I think that's going to be something that's always going to be important. So, you know, we will be educators as well as entertainers. We've got to always be those two things. Um, so I think, you know, that that's the stuff that's not going to change over the next 10 years. So, It's always trying to keep balance of those two things from my perspective.
0: I love that. That's such a unique take on that. I love that. The last question before our rapid fire is typically to talk about Unconvention 2022, uh, specifically your session. But I'm going to ask this a little bit differently. First of all, I'll ask the first part the same way that I'm asking all of the podcast guests, which is what excites you about the event itself?
1: Well, I'm excited about gathering together again. I think it's been a year where not just for our industry but in society, we've been so isolated, mm, you know, and, yeah. and even though we can't gather face to face physically, I just think the ability for the industry to come together, it's so important. It's so important. And and what I loved about last year's convention online, and I hope and I'm certain, in fact, it'll be the same this year, was that there was such honesty. People were yeah. – People are just real, and I think that there's such a need for that right now. Um, so I think that that sense of gathering together, people just sharing what they're learning, what they're struggling with, and that we can all sort of figure out how to get sharper together.
0: That's that's Absolutely. my that's what I get excited about. Absolutely, and I think that that's one of the real gifts for our community, uh, for our association that COVID gave us because. I, quite frankly, shout out to Tim Longhurst for his opening session in the 2020 convention because mm. I think that that his, that opening keynote, which shows the power of the messaging, that opening keynote, which leads to the second part of this question, which he changed right before he got on stage based yep. on what was happening. Because, you know, put yourself back. It was March 13th, Friday the 13th, 2020. <laughs> (laughs) And we knew that we were going in lockdown. We knew that the world was changing. And Tim got up there on stage with a completely different keynote than what he was planning on Mm. delivering. And he nailed it. And I think that that was a pivotal moment for our community where we went from being a group of competitors to truly a group of collaborators. And I, for one, have been so thankful for that.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah. I, th- I think that's yeah. That's the beautiful thing about P- when PSA works well, and it tends to work beautifully most of the time. It's ex- that's when it works its best when there's yes. that sense of just honesty and transparency. Yes, absolutely. And, um, absolutely. When it really is a tribe, we often yeah. use that language, tribe. So, yeah, I think that'll certainly shape the way I prepare my content. I mean, I've not, I've not finalised what I'm going to share yet because. I mean, at the moment, as you said, we're like late November at the moment. It would be naive for me to lock in too much of what I'm going to share because, I mean, at the moment, one of the things I'm struggling with with clients, I don't know how many other listeners are finding this as well, but clients that you know, are often wanting pre-recorded content at the moment, they want it sort of two and three and four weeks out. Um, and what I get nervous about, particularly as someone who's talking about trends, is I need to speak into exactly what's happening right now. Like I yes. need to be able to refer to... An article in the Wall Street Journal that I read yesterday. I need to talk about what's happened in the Sydney Morning Herald you know, last Thursday. Like it, that, that gives you such currency and relevance with your audience. And so it's hard to speak into what's happening right now when you're pre-recording something two and three weeks out, much less two or three months out. So I tend to try and not lock things in too far out. And it's not just trying to speak into, you know, the zeitgeist, what's happening in the atmosphere and in the, the ether for the, the audience, but it's also knowing what else is happening in the program. So until I've got a really clear sense of where I fit, what what else is happening, where you know, what the overarching narrative of the event is, those are the things that tend to drive... Yeah, how I customize content. So for for the convention next year, let's watch and see. I'm not let's quite sure what I deliver, but let's watch and see.
0: Whatever you deliver, it will be fantastic. That I can say with certainty because I have seen you several times, and you never disappoint. <laughs> so I want to Thank wrap you. up with our rapid fire. Are you ready for our rapid fire questions? Do you have your seatbelt strapped on? Excellent. I sure do. Do okay. Favorite online platform.
1: So if you had to choose between like blue jeans or Teams or Zoom, I mean exactly. Zoom, Zoom every time.
0: Yep, I agree. I agree. Favorite tech <laughs> hack? Uh,
1: I've been using Mentimeter recently for um, hybrid events, which I love because I can have everyone in the room and those dialing in all like build a word cloud in my slide deck in real time, which just levels the playing field. So that's been great.
0: It does. It does. And it's the anonymity rather than the chat box, the anonymity yeah, of being able right. to, yeah, I I love it as well. Favorite productivity hack?
1: Well, I was telling an audience about this one earlier in the week. It's a Google Chrome plugin called NOPE. So N-O-P-E. And so this is if you're in an environment where either working at home or in an office where like you're always getting interrupted if you see someone like walking towards you, like I don't have time for this interruption, you can hit the nope button and it'll call your mobile phone with a fake phone call. No. And, so, <laughs> yeah. and so, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I came across that a little while back and thought it was just genius. So, um, yeah, it's like fighting distraction with distraction, but, um, yeah, apparently it works beautifully.
0: That is hilarious. I am actually going to <laughs> note that down. <laughs> Favorite meal.
1: I love a good old Hawaiian pizza. I'm a Wollongong boy. I'm, I have simple Aww. tastes and my favorite pizza. Hawaiian pizza, bring it on.
0: <laughs> That's where you and I differ, Michael. <laughs> Fruit on pizza, no, not a thing. Favorite holiday spot, and in particular, now that the borders are opening, are you and your family mm. planning any holidays overseas?
1: Yeah, well, we're in Fiji in April for my mom's 70th. <gasps> all the family flying in from all over the world. First time we'll be together in two and a half years. So Gorgeous. it's very nice. I just, yeah, anyway, with sun and sand, and I'm a very happy man.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, speaking of sun and sand, what will you be drinking? Wine, beer, gin, vodka, or tequila? Oh,
1: gin. Love a gin. Gin and tonic. <laughs> all the way.
0: Oh, yes, yes. You and I are on the same page there. If you could have a dinner party with any three people in the world, who would they be?
1: Oh, if they're all together, it'd be an interesting group, actually. So, I would love to sit down with Queen Elizabeth. Can you imagine the stories that woman would have to share and the wisdom, like the, the stuff she's seen. I think that'd be fascinating. Jim Collins, who was a really key mm. influence in a lot of my thinking well, through lots of his books. Yeah. And there's a, a leadership author and pastor in America called Craig Groeschel. And um, I love his podcast. I just find just one of these people who's got, who's got real wisdom in just life and relationships. And, I, yeah, I could listen to him all day.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And speaking of podcasts, What is your favorite book or podcast specifically for professional inspiration?
1: Oh, yeah. So the one actually I've been loving in preparation for the book I'm writing at the moment is a podcast called You Are Not So Smart by David McCraney. And so he basically interviews psychologists and neuroscientists and behavioral economists about why humans make dumb decisions and believe irrational things, even though they're really smart. So a lot of that stuff around denial and delusion and how that plays into the way we make decisions and all that stuff so that's i I love his podcast in fact there was a a segment last week on um false memories and how our memories cannot be trusted fascinating um that is fascinating last week yeah
0: Absolutely. Well, Michael McQueen, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, whether it's running into you on stage and an event, whether it's a phone call and specifically this podcast. So thank you so much for your generosity of your time, your knowledge, your expertise. And I am looking forward to seeing you at Unconvention 2022 in March. So if Mm. you haven't booked your tickets yet, book them now.
1: It's wonderful, thank you, Kim. And all I will say before we finish off is, um, just thank you and Jack for like the work you're doing. And, and I've sat there; I've done a couple of conventions now. It is, um, it's rewarding, but it's it's big. It's a big task, and you know, you're doing new things and taking such initiative. And I know how busy you are, so just yeah, I'll just honour and acknowledge you because it's a lot thank of work. You. But it's going to be a cracker of an event and it'll be a cracker of an event because of what you guys are doing in preparation. So thank you. A lot of us, we see it and we're grateful.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Excellent. Very good. Well, thank you again for your time and I look forward to seeing you in March thanks for joining us for this episode of Unconventionally Speaking. We have over 30 unspeakers of this caliber at Unconvention on the 25th and 26th of March. So grab your seat today. Just click the link included in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone that you know who would also get value from this conversation. And follow or subscribe to the show to ensure that you never miss an episode see you all at PSA Unconvention 2022. This episode is sponsored by your podcast concierge, podcast production for speakers who want to increase their authority and generate leads from their show. You press record and let them do the rest. And to this, I can personally attest.